Hey guys, you're listening to the Ludic Language Pedagogy Podcast. My name's Ben, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined by James York. He's our featured guest. Hi. And Jonathan Dehan. Howdy. Uh, today, we'll be chatting a little bit about James' recently published paper, uh, Cultivar Rollers Walkthrough, uh, Board Games, TBLT, and Player Progression in a University EFL Classroom. Yeah? Yep. All right. So, let's start it out. Uh, James, can you tell us about the ludic, the language, and the pedagogy in your paper? Let's start with the ludic, yeah? Sure. Um, so, the ludic in the paper, I used primarily board games as a tool in my classroom. Um, and um, within board games, I used hidden role games and cooperative games mostly. What's a hidden role game? A hidden role game is a game where it's generally a cooperative game where you are trying to find somebody that's undercover or somebody that's a, a bad role or a betrayer, a backstabber. So you're working together to try and expose somebody through, and the only mechanic in the game is a conversation, generally. So an example of it would be like Spyfall or, or Two Rooms and a Boom. Or One Night Werewolf. One Night Werewolf. How about a cooperative game? What's that? A cooperative game is, well, I, I would give some titles. Pandemic, um, Burgle Brothers. Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert. I'm just naming three Matt Leacock games, why not? These games are where everybody's working together. It's like a PvE, it's players versus the game, where everybody's working with a unique role to try and overcome a problem and hopefully escape unscathed. Did, did all these games pop up in your study? Mm, yes. For the most part? Yes. Yep. Cool. All right, let's, let's move on to uh, language. Uh, tell us about the language in your paper. Yeah, so when I started out Cotaba Rollers, I was very still much in a CLT um, mindset of I'm, I'm, I've got to teach oral communication skills. So that is the, the main skill that I was focusing on uh, in the study, yeah. which is why those games appear most frequently, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I wanted to uh, promote social interaction and or oral social mm -hmm. interaction within the classroom. So using the games as, I guess, as, as a task in a way to to get students to output language. Mm. But the 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 goals of the of of KR they went beyond just speaking, and of course, there's a lot of reading involved. So the four skills, uh, totally totally um, uh, touched on the four skills: presenting, uh, present, presenting. So four skills, language skills, and presenting skills, and uh, analyzing texts. Mm -hmm. um, not, not too deeply, but looking at texts, analyzing them, watching YouTube videos, so quite a, a variety of languages. It sounds like you're moving as a teacher from focusing on speaking to writing, is that correct? Writing mm. and reading? Within KR, I, I, my goal is to have a balance between those skills, actually, to have a very traditional four skills focus. So I, I would try and push back on that a little within KR. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Do so you, do you think do you think about language in terms of sort of input and output that the students are doing? Yes. How, how does that fit into maybe the TBLT model and specifically in KR? Um, Is there a lot of input at the beginning and what are students outputting through the model? Hmm. I mean, if we go on to the pedagogy, maybe we can answer that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's yeah, a good segue that. into the uh, pedagogy. So tell us about the pedagogy in your paper. Pedagogy is um, designed around um, a TBLT framework of pre-task, task, post-task. Task, post so a pre-task would onboard students to a task that they 
um, will be undertaking later on in the class or you know, in a preceding class. Then there's uh, the main task, which involves some kind of authentic communication between students, uh, meaning-based meaning in, uh, interactions rather than um, rote regurgitation of language items. And then following uh, the task, which they haven't been prepared specifically in terms of grammar and vocabulary, the post-task is a phase where students can reflect on their language use and consider where they didn't quite, they weren't able to say exactly what they wanted or maybe focus on some grammar item that came up over and over again. So this is the, the general framework of pre-task, task and post-task. And I found that board games or board gaming itself um, is lent, it kind of fit a task-based language teaching approach where um, at the start of the class you, you read, a, well to play a board game you need to read a rule book. Um, so there's a, an input task here which is what Jonathan was asking for. So yes, input, then output, and then some focus on um, language use. It, it kind of, the board gaming seemed to fit that. Also I'm, I'm very interested in this idea of, very interested in this idea of the, the pre-task as a reading activity, but in order to check comprehension of that reading or that listening or that viewing of, you, of a YouTube video, um, they actually have to perform the gameplay the following week. So I always liken it to a textbook where the, only te the, the textbooks that I've ever seen, they always have a reading comprehension activity at the end of a chapter. Does that sound about right to yeah. you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. end of the chapter, reading comprehension, let's check that you understand the grammar point and fill in these um, words. There is no other reason for doing that reading activity other than just to check what you, you've, you've done previously. Whereas with a rule book, it's completely on its head. You, you, you do the reading at the very start, which has a very, very important meaning that if you've understood that, then you can actually perform gameplay. And if you haven't understood the reading, you can't do the gameplay. So I just thought this was a, a very beautiful progression from productive, uh, sorry, um, input skills, receptive skills, into productive skills in the actual gameplay. Now, if you let me, let me go on to the post-task, of course, even as a native speaker, we've all played board games and we know that the, the cognitive demand of playing a game, you don't have a lot of uh, room to consider anything, especially if you're trying to do it in your L2. So you, you, you can't really, you don't have a lot of time to think about language, essentially is what I'm saying. So the post-task in KR is uh, built around the idea of transcription. So students will record their gameplay. And this also really is quite liberating and, and it frees them up to just speak the L1 during the first play session because I say, well, look, if you can't say it in English, just say it in Japanese because we're going to record it and then post-play will analyze it. And that could be uh, as simple as looking at Japanese structures that come up a lot and maybe finding a grammar point that, that can be used to, in English to actually to improve their speaking in a subsequent play session. So yeah, that's the general framework of the pedagogy. We are also focused on projects, right? Students are producing things at the end of that sequence. Mm -hmm. um, can you give, can you tell us a little bit about the sorts of projects that your students did? Yeah, this is the um, player progression metaphor, which is in the paper. So as well as the TBLT pre-task, task, post-task, I'll just add as well that pre in, in KR it's pre-task, task, post-task, post uh, then the same task again. So there's task repetition with a final post-task. So it's, it's kind of five classes, if you like. But the player progression idea came from Squire's uh, notion of uh, education as player progression, where you start as a newbie, um, you become a, an experienced player, or you, you gain knowledge from the community of practice, uh, become a, a skilled player. And in terms of gaming, some advanced 
players become content creators. They, they will give back to the community in the form of wiki or a, a let's play video or a how to play video. So this idea of player progression, I really it really struck a chord with me that the students coming into my class, a lot, most of them, in fact, have never played board games, um, they've perhaps played Monopoly or the Game of Life, but they haven't really been in, in, in this culture. So for them to go from not knowing anything about board games to have played four board games over the course of a year and two of them being of their choosing. Well, my, my idea of a kind of final project to show what they've learnt is to create something, some kind of artefact that can be then give, be given back to the community. Um, and in, in my classroom, the community is the next generation of students. So if you imagine uh, students from the start of the year, they don't know anything about board games. At the end of the year, they've created something that can be then used as support material for the following year uh, students. And that's the play progression model. You've mentioned like repetition of tasks in the care model, and you've also been talking about communities several times. Right. Um, those, for me, when I, reading the paper and, and, and helping with the, the, the peer review, those are things that stood out to me as something that can be and, and should be applied to other maybe game-based teaching contexts or even just language teaching contexts. Yeah. Like, do you think that those are challenging to start up in a in a classroom context, like more repetitions of tasks or that trying part, to create a mm, community. That part is not difficult. I don't. I think. I don't think task repetition is difficult. I think it's for me the idea of task repetition. How can I describe this? I thought that I, I would need to move on after playing a game one time, and you know, <laughs> imagining that students would be bored by doing the same task again and again. But it really doesn't work like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that both of you can attest to the fact that when you play a game the first time, like we just played this uh, Euro game yesterday, your first playthrough, it's, ah, when you finish it, ah, I've got it now. Mm-hmm. So you really need that experience. And if you end there, it's such a waste. You sold the game short, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and then again, the idea of the post-task being a final point, I don't like that either. Hmm. You, you've, you've played the game, you, you've... Um, You've analysed your language use during the gameplay. For what means? If, if there's not a means for that analysis, you might as well not do it. So by analysing gameplay, there's a very specific reason for that. And that is that, hey guys, you're going to be playing the same game again next week. Um, I'd like you to, and it's also your speaking test. I'm going to be grading you on that speech uh, on, on your gameplay. So the analysis, the post-task feeds into, very naturally, into a second gameplay session. So the, the task repetition is not a problem. The community of practice, uh, I find that the idea of authenticity and audience, because students are only really creating materials that may be seen by the next generation of students, it's not that authentic. And some of them will half arse it, if you like. Um, I do give students the option to, oh, in terms of the artifacts that they can create, they can create a game review, like a written game review. They can create a transcription of gameplay, including grammar points for the the next generation, of course. So that's two. They're written projects. Um, one of them can be a collaborative project, working together on a review, or actually they both can work together on a review, work together on a transcription. The other project that I have at the end is uh, there's two video projects. One is a how to play video. So they'll they'll create something like a Rodney Smith. Um, what's his channel called? Watch it played. Watch it played. That's right. Like something like that. Or they can create a gameplay video of themselves playing the game. and uh, yeah. And the fifth one, which nobody really chooses, is I would like them to demonstrate that they understand the game by teaching another group in the classroom. But hardly anybody chooses this because it's too, it's too live, right? So anyway, 
Um, I do give students the options to upload their video publicly on YouTube. And I find that the students that are really into the project and are really confident and happy with their, their progression through the course often will allow me to, to put videos publicly on YouTube. So that is one of the options. But still, finding an authentic, an authentic audience for the community is something that is probably going to be the next step. Do you think it's possible to create a community of practice with games in a class that are only used for a short amount of time? Like in your context, you're doing this for an entire semester and you've got several classes going along and you're going to do it again and again. If somebody's starting to use games in the classroom, is there a way to sort of easily create that community of practice? Like what's a, what's a way to jumpstart that um, for I don't, other I, teachers? So I don't think it is easy. I think because you're you're trapped in the institution and you're trapped in the classroom, you're trapped in that lesson, that one hour per week that you're meeting students. Yeah, it's 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 not easy. Which is why with ideas of like connected learning and um, on you know online communities to to get, really get an authentic community of practice, you have to go outside the classroom and look at the communities outside, which is difficult. All right, so can you detail some of the successes of your paper for us? Hmm. I mean, you've already listed like a lot. But <laughs> give you, us a humble brag. Give us a humble brag or, 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 or uh, I mean, what, what do you want teachers to know? Oh, okay, simple, humble brag. Humble brag. A simple, humble brag. I like the humble brag. Um, okay, there's nothing wrong with I've that. had a student, I, I'm, I'd be, I'm very happy if a student comes up to me and says, you know, Mr. York, I didn't learn a lot of English in your class this year but now I'm totally in love with board games. That's a, that's a, that's a success for me because <laughs> um, I've, I've improved their game literacy. Uh, they, they know a lot more about games. Uh, in terms of KR, I'm very pleased with how it progresses, how it unfolds, how implementable it should be for other teachers. It's, it's gameplay, but slowed down. It's not a game every week. It's not a game as a frivolous activity. It's not trying to smash a pre task a task and a post task into one class it's let's take a game and let's do meaningful activities around it over the course of five to six to seven weeks i'm happy with that so there's been a question that's kind of been bouncing around in my head for a while now um and i've always wanted to ask how is kr unique um how does it how does how is it unique from tblt how is it unique from multi-literacies i know it uses concepts from each it uses concepts from a lot of different places but um, how does it earn a unique name, in your opinion? How does it earn the moniker Cultivat Rollers? Hmm. What do you think, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> I think you I, reviewed it as well. You well know? Yeah, no, I think I, th I think that your high your emphasis on the task repetition, the post task after the post task, the task again, and then maybe another post task, another task, another post task, hmm. and that kind of going, you know. That repetition, I think that's that's really big. Mm. Um, but at the same time, and um, transcription maybe? and transcription, um, which is again another task after the post task. Well, that, that's well, that's how I think it is. It's surprisingly un, unrepresented in the in the literature as well. Yeah. I find transcription as a topic. Well, yeah. he, the title of his his project is is Kotaba Rollers, right? Kotaba mm -hmm. meaning word, right? Yeah. And, and I think what I, what I love seeing in James' paper was was his detailed presentation of students going from transcribing a almost completely L1 mm, gameplay mm, mm. and then very deliberately, very mm. mediated to, well, look, let's, look at, let's look at that word. Mm. Let's figure out how to say that word. Let's how figure out how to say that phrase. And then him presenting the second mm. gameplay where there's much more in the L2 and that word has been transformed through his work and through the student's effort. Mm. 
I think that's how it earns the moniker so, Côte de So Jonathan, you think that this is this framework, the way that James is doing it, is unique enough for it to stand on its own? For it to just have a, 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 uni- a name separate from other framework? I guess, right? Did I just throw a spanner into the works no, here? No, 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 no. That's good. We can skip all this a little bit. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a pedagogy. It's not a teaching method. It's mm. not... It's not TBLT. It's not GBLT. Mm. Cotabarolas is kind of a moniker. For it. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't stand apart from other things. I don't think it does. It it's, is. It's it's got a TBLT core for mm. sure, right? Mm. Like it's it's wearing it's wearing TBLT underpants, mm. right? But you've just swathed it in several different layers of different frameworks. Mm. So you wouldn't say that it was an amalgamation, would you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it is. It, 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 it's it, a bricolage. It is a bricolage. It, there's also activities that exist in there that could be the core concept of it. Like I could go deep into watching YouTube videos because that's one of the projects one, one, in the paper. One of the mm-hmm. items that students really struggled with was watching YouTube videos of native speakers because they don't have that cultural background or anything. And they don't know spoken English outside of textbook English. So I could literally spend five weeks on a single spyfall gameplay video with them. Or I could I could uh, do things like Jonathan did in the GT paper, where they go deep into the structure of game reviews and make mm. a game review. So it is a it is a, a lot of activities, which is one of the criticisms that I put at the end. Um, this act, it, there's a lot of activities thrown in there. Nothing that goes super deep in one place, mm. um, which um, yeah, it, it kind of leaves things open mm. for future avenues. Yeah. Thanks, James. Thanks. Thanks, Jonathan. Sorry about that. No, that's good. Is, that, that's, that's a good question. We, yeah. we, can, we can pull parts of that, I think. Okay. Is, all right, is any, any final comments from either of you two? Anything else that you maybe uh, wanted to say before? Yeah, sure. Let's go for this. Um, in the paper, Jonathan picked up on this. I, I didn't really notice it, but I had, what was it? Materials, mediation. There was three M's, wasn't there, that were core to the project. It was, Hold on. Materials, mediation. Medusas. What was it now? Ah, method, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so... Go for it. The, the, one thing I'd like to add is that in this paper, we, we, we kind of stumbled across uh, the three M's of the paper, which was methodology, uh, materials, and mediation. So if you're thinking of doing any teaching around games, uh, maybe consider these three things. What methodology are you using? How much? How are you mediating the student interactions and their progress? And what was the third one? Method, did you? Method, materials. Mediation. Mediation. Fuck. Delicious. I don't have any extra comments. Damn. Delicious. You, you, mm. you, you could have just said, I don't have any extra comments. I don't have any extra comments. <laughs> don't ask me that question, Ben. Um, no, that's all from me. Thanks. Delicious. You good, Jonathan? Yeah. Good. All right, cool. Thanks for chatting, James. Thanks for... Yeah, thanks. All right. Um, Everyone out there, thank you for listening to the LLP podcast as usual. Uh, visit our website at llpjournal.org. Uh, if you would like to become a reviewer, reviewer we do have uh, information on there for you. Um, tweet us at llpjournal. And uh, if you have any questions about anything that you hear in the podcast or anything you see on the site or in the papers, uh, please email us at contact at llpjournal.org. And please send us your emails. We love your questions. Yep, even if you want to shout out on the show, uh, hey, we, hey, Johnny or whatever, we, we'll do that. So five-star review on iTunes, please. And Yelp. Don't forget it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. That felt like a lot longer. It was. It was much longer. 22. Double the size. But still, it, we, we'll cut it down, right?